And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything's potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like welcome to anything is potable. The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from the Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and the Celtics have lost two games in a row. This is the first loss on a back-to-back. They are 0 for Florida on the trip. With that being said, we have to provide some additional context here. They were without... Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Malcolm Brogdon tonight. They're missing a number of guys, uh, including Malcolm Brogdon and Rob Williams in the game against the Orlando Magic. Still, they had a chance to win this game. They were up by 10, I think with like six minutes left. Rob Williams had a nice lob dunk. Everything was going well for the Celtics. And then the Heat just kind of took over and uh, went on a nice little 10-0 run there. Jay King. It was actually Celt- a 15-0 run. Oh, even better. A 15-0 run. Celtics still had a chance in the final moments to tie the game. You think it was an awful decision by Joe Mazzulla not to call timeout. Is that correct? <laughs> I understand why he didn't in the first place. Because sometimes you can just get a better look going. Uh, but once Jason Tatum got double teamed, and nothing was going on, and there was no structure, no helpful structure at least, using a timeout would have been wise. And Tatum ended up throwing a cross-court BS pass that got intercepted by Tyler Hero. Um, Never really had a chance of hitting. I think it was Grant Williams was the intended target in the corner. Yeah, that that would have been a good time to call a timeout. And I know Joe Mazzulla is not a timeout guy. I know he wants his guys to figure it out. Maybe Tatum will look back on this experience later and uh, learn from it. But uh, they could have absolutely gotten a better look in that situation than with whatever they drew up. Um, And like Tatum wanted to go. The Heat were able to just send two at him. They were never going to let him go one-on-one they were never going to let him get into something comfortably and the Celtics just had nothing dialed up when that happened I would say all of that is true that they should have gotten a better look that they probably should not have given up a 15 a look not a better look a look a look they should have gotten a shot out I would say if you're not going to call a timeout maybe start something uh, at 10 seconds left in the shot clock. And so you have some kind of maybe wiggle room to work with. I agree that that was not the best last six minutes of basketball for the Boston Celtics uh, I've seen um, them play this year. But does it really matter? Does it really matter in this game in which we are everything matters, Packer. We are we are podcasters. We can't be sitting up here acting like the regular season no longer matters. We are people who react to everything. I, and this is my reaction: is that it doesn't matter. Is that Justin Jackson played fourteen minutes in this game? Sam Hauser played twenty five minutes in this game. It was pretty cool that they were in the game and had an opportunity to win. But on a second night of a back to back, where you're relying on like you don't have three of your starters. Like, I don't know what the big, what's the major takeaway from these two games in Orlando and Miami? Is it that the Celtics are a bad team? Like, I don't know what we're supposed to say from like this. Like, yes, they probably should not have lost to the Orlando Magic 
But who knows? Like, shit happens in Orlando. They probably shouldn't have lost this game, but it's just not representative of what this Boston Celtics team is. The, the Heat, without Jimmy Butler, uh, especially Bam Adebayo down the stretch, made some plays. They knocked down some threes. Haywood Highsmith came out of nowhere, knocking down threes left and right. But at the end of the day, maybe Joe Missoula will look on, back on this and be like, man, now I really know how to handle timeout in late-game situations, and maybe it's a learning moment. But as the fan... Probably not. Probably not. Uh, as the fan, given the fan perspective on this uh, podcast, and I doubt I'm like a lot of other fans. A lot of other fans are probably curious right now if they didn't win this game. I just kind of had a number number of people saying to fire Joe Missoula in the the comments. The first two comments we have are, which is a wild, 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 <laughs> wild dis- decision to type those words. Uh, the guy's in first place in the Eastern Conference. That's what I'm by several games that, by several games. That's what I'm trying to say, and I think going back this entire trip, like the fight that this the same kind of similar circumstances uh, this team showed in Toronto when they were without Jason Tatum and they were playing a lot of Peyton Pritchard and they were in that game and they won that game against a, a Toronto team, a game they probably shouldn't have won. Um, I think you can like, I don't think that is necessarily reveals a lot about who this Celtics team is. They were like managed to play hard and make knockdown shots, but I don't think it's like representative in a game without Jason Tatum of what we should expect from the Celtics team. Like what, what are the like? What have we learned about the Boston Celtics in the last three games? A win over the Toronto Raptors and two losses um, down here in Florida. Other than they have some decent depth, they have some guys who are NBA players. I think Peyton Pritchard absolutely can play, and we learned that. I think it's nice that Sam Hauser made some hustle plays in Orlando and made like had some nice blocks here tonight. But I don't think that means Sam Hauser is ready for the playoffs. And so, other than cementing the fact that Peyton Pritchard, pretty solid basketball player. I don't know what what else we've learned from uh, from these past three games. Maybe I'm being ignorant. Maybe I'm being glib about this subject. Jay, I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me. The Orlando Magic are better than the Boston Celtics. Right, that's what it, that's that's the conclusion everyone should draw from this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that is the conclusion. Um, yeah, I mean, long term, there's probably not much to take away. Um, the Heat force a lot of turnovers. That's kind of what they do. The Celtics were without a couple of their normal primary ball handlers. They had a lot of turnovers. Jason Tatum had a lot of turnovers. Um, and, like, the offense broke down in the final minutes. Largely due yeah, I, I thought they zero. actually had a, a really solid game most of the time. Yeah. Like, they were t- in full control of that game for three and a half quarters. Um and it turned out that the the other half of a quarter was a 15-0 heat run that doomed them forever. Um, but for three and a half quarters, they were very solid. It was just the rest. And it it really did come down to turnovers, not just on the last play, but the the whole game, really. Um, but I, I... And obviously, with a lot of those guys out, a lot more was in Jason Tatum's hands. It uh, felt like they were more isocentric than they normally are. Um, but that like kind of makes sense when you also have Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, and Grant Robert Williams out on the floor like during that time. I think like the offense clearly was not as good. It slowed down. We're we're not overreacting here, Packer. We're just I'm overreacting here, J. King. I'm overreacting. You are overreacting. The other, you're just yelling at straw men right now. Honestly. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Who's this straw man you're arguing about? There's nothing we can really take from this. What are you talking about? Like nobody's saying this is like a career defining or season defining loss. We're just discussing what happened in. Uh, I mean, at the, is that okay? Yeah, no. Or should we just not talk about the game at all? Because because nothing about it matters. It's a valid point, Jake King. Maybe we should probably discuss it. I was going to say, like, uh, <laughs> I think the offensive breakdown makes sense given the personnel. It's like, what do you? The, the, the Miami did a good job of kind of like muddying the waters, going zone, making like forcing the team. Well, I mean, they still had Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Derek White, and Peyton Pritchard on the floor. Like those are – you should be able to run offense with those guys. It's not like that group precludes you from running decent offense or at least scoring over a six-minute stretch. They scored some points. Jason Tatum had no, one bucket. Sc- for a six-minute stretch, they scored zero points. You know, basketball, as they say, is a game of runs. 
And um, before that, they scored a lot of points. They got a, I think they, I think they built a 10 point lead. Um, I don't know. It just, I, it just feels like one of those nights, like where the, it was entirely reliant on, okay, we don't know what to do now. Jason Tatum, figure it out. And without having like a lot of offensive weapons around him, Jason Tatum wasn't able to figure it out. He still had a pretty damn good game just in terms of a box score, 31 and 14 with seven assists. Um, he was spraying the ball around, especially in the first half, um, getting nailing Justin Jackson, an amazing cross court pass, get Justin Jackson going. But I mean, I think is, is it more of an issue that Justin Jackson made more threes than Sam Hauser? I think like actually like Sam Hauser got a lot of hype for his blocks and his hustle plays, but has he become like a, an unplayable person for the Celtics in, in cases where they're not have, um, so many injuries? Like is if we're, I don't think he's unplayable because I do think he's a great shooter. Uh, and because I do think he's a great shooter at some point, he will pull out of this slide that he's in. But right now, it's been pretty bleak for a while, his shooting. And obviously, he did have the couple blocks. He, he's made a couple hustle plays the last couple games, too, in Orlando. Uh, he had the one like dive on the floor where he ripped it away from, I forget who it was, but it, it was a great play and kind of got him going, got the team going. But yeah, his he's got to be able to knock down shots. And tonight, it was like a number of wide-open shots. They weren't difficult. He had some really open looks and finished 0 for 6 from the field, I believe, 0 for 5 from the three-point arc. And, and that was an opportunity for him to regain a place in the rotation to start to earn back some of his minutes. Um, he had his first two DMPCDs recently, in the Golden State game and the Toronto game. And the Toronto game was kind of surprising because the Celtics had no Tatum in that game and then lost three guys to injury during the game and Hauser still couldn't get off the bench. Um, so it seems like they've just kind of lost faith in him a little bit. Uh, and I think part of that is because of how often he does get targeted defensively. And part of that is because to overcome how often he's targeted defensively, like, just got to make shots. You've got to be an offensive force. And he just hasn't been that for a while. Like, he has not consistently done that. And early in the season, he was an impact player. He was automatic. He, he you was, couldn't leave him open. He was automatic. And he, he really, really impacted the game because teams were sticking close to him, because he was open th opening things up for other guys. And lately, he just hasn't been the same player. Um and and maybe it's because teams adjusted. Maybe it's because he's just going through it mentally. There could be a lot of different things, but but tonight was definitely a chance for him to to earn minutes. And he did scrap around a little bit. He did have the the couple blocks. Um, he had a steal. He he made some hustle plays, but he's got to be able to make shots, especially open ones. And uh, if he's not, then. He's going to continue losing minutes to Peyton Pritchard as he has recently. And Pritchard's done a pretty good job lately. Um, it's not like the Celtics are going to just like a scrub or anything. But, yeah, just another missed opportunity for Hauser. Yeah, and I think that's like the biggest thing is like you talk about when they're – this is the moment when you want those bench guys to step up and prove themselves and try to earn that role. And it feels like Pritchard, more so in that Toronto game, um, with just a crazy amount of shot making there. I'm looking at his stat line from tonight, and it's actually kind of ugly. 4 of 14 from the field, 2 of 9 from deep. Um, did have 7 rebounds and 4 assists, but he played 42 and a half minutes tonight. A lot of Peyton Pritchard on the floor, which makes sense. No Marcus Smart, no Malcolm Brogdon. Um, but it seems like Pritchard has at least established himself as like, I don't know if the team went fully healthy. You're necessarily going to just guarantee Peyton Pritchard rotation minutes, but he's yeah he didn't play at all against Golden State. But he's at least someone where it's like if there is an injury, you have confidence in Peyton Pritchard to be able to do something positive uh, in a playoff setting in a big game. Whereas right now, I don't think you'd say the same about Sam Hauser. Like Peyton Pritchard, at least. Oh, you're down on Hauser. I've been down on Hauser since uh, 
he had a 17 second stint in the, uh, one of those Charlotte games, and, and Joe Mazzula was down on Hauser. I, I was reading the tea leaves then. I, so you you ride whatever way Joe Mazzula rides. Oh yeah, well Joe Mazzula before the game walked up to Marcus Smart and did a somersault and told him you can't do that. That's my leader. That that's Bazooka Joe at its finest. I'm I'm I'll be- do you think do you think Smart was just itching to do one, but because the ankle just couldn't do it and it just hurt him so bad inside. Like to match Joe Mazzula or, or beforehand, and Mazzula read that on his face and then did one to be No, no, no. Afterward, like wanted to one-up Mazzula. Oh, I'm sure Marcus Smart wanted to do his like hip-up thing. Or was he just sitting there thinking, my coach is a maniac? I mean, I don't know. Like, like the, it was a quote from Himmelsbach, and Himmelsbach asked Smart about it, and Smart said he was shocked and surprised. Like, what is what a wild card move just to have Joe Mazzula walk up to someone in the locker room and do a somersault. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine Joe Mazzula doing a somersault. It, it's it's really mind-boggling. It was, it's fascinating stuff from Joe. He surprises me every day. <laughs> Man, I was just doing somersaults in the locker room. Sometimes you gotta gotta let the players know you can. <laughs> no, he was, shit to he was letting Marcus Smart specifically know that you are hurt and you are injured and you can't do a somersault. Although now I'm thinking about it, like. Would a, a severely sprained ankle stop you from doing a somersault? Yes. Is Marcus Smart uh, on crutches? Is he in a walking boot? Do you think that he was trying to goad Smart into actually playing tonight? <laughs> By challenging his manhood? Yeah. That, like that that could have that could have been it, honestly. I I it clearly did not work. Marcus Smart did not take the bait because he's a he's a bet, but um, uh, it's just a, a bold move from Bazooka Joe. I think while we're on Smart, it did feel like his presence was sorely missed, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. He has become the guy who organizes the Celtics, who, when things are going wrong, gets them into something, gets them, feeds the ball to the right guy in the right spot with a chance to do something. And when teams are loading up on Jason Tatum, as the Heat did, like they they spent the whole fourth quarter trying to get the ball out of his hands, making other guys make plays. Smart is often able to use however they're guarding that against the team and get Tatum the ball anyway in an advantageous position. And the Southers just weren't able to do that. And they still had some really good looks like, Derek White missed a wide open three um, late in the game. Grant Williams missed a bunny. Uh, there were a couple couple other bunnies missed. Um, but but Smart gets it in the hands of the guy you want it in, whether that's Tatum, whether that's Brown. He he just can can really read the game, and and knows how to just orchestrate their offense. And I felt like they badly missed that down the stretch. Yeah. Him and Tatum's chemistry, just in terms of like their two man game, um, setting picks for each other and just reading what, how the defense plays it and having the right reaction to it. I think it's been a major right spot for the Celtics. And just in terms of their, their half court offense. And I, it's unclear at this point, how long Marcus Smart's going to be out. But I do think that's just going to be something that, uh, the Celtics are missing um, this year. As good as as Derek White has been, as good as Malcolm, like we don't know. Uh, presumably, Malcolm Brogdon will be back, um, and I think that'll be uh, helpful for Marcus Smart's absence. But there is this kind of chemistry and playmaking that come from uh, Marcus Smart, specifically uh, while playing with Jason Tatum. And they, those two, their ability to kind of read the defense and figure it out takes a lot of pressure off Tatum, where. Um, he either can kind of get Tatum in the middle of the floor uh, with the ball in his hands, or if they show a lot of attention to Tatum, then you have Marcus Smart, one of the better playmakers on the Celtics, one of the better decision makers, um, just uh, facilitating the offense. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how long Marcus Smart's out and to see how kind of the, the Celtics offense struggles in that regard with his, uh, with his absence. Like just like he is, yeah, he's such an why has Missoula been saying he's day to day? By the way, and then Smart talks and he's like, "Yeah, maybe a week or two. Because Marcus Smart loves to play up his injuries. Because, one, and also Joe Missoula doesn't like 
sharing anything. Yeah, boom. Figure it out. Anybody. Good job, Detective King. We figured it out quickly. I'm just saying that's <laughs> annoying. Like, who? Just, just tell us how long the guy's gonna be out. Who cares? He doesn't want to give any edge to anyone. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you saw like ankle sprain, you, I think you, I assumed Marcus Smart could be out. Yeah, for, like, he grabbed two. so high it was probably a highish ankle sprain. Um, he gra- like it wasn't like he grabbed his foot. Like he was grabbing higher up on his leg. That that was a. And the higher it gets, the worse it gets. Yeah, I assume Marcus would be out for like two weeks, just given that. And given that there's, they do have a very large lead in the East, there's no need to necessarily rush him back. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's like the unexpected Brogdon out for personal regions after the Marcus Smart injury makes these two games tougher just because he is the, like, the backup point guard and the guy who can run the offense. And so... The Celtics have certainly were like put to a test with um, immediately have Peyton Pritchard having to step in and Peyton Pritchard just like clearly, I just don't think has the size and uh, the experience at this point to be as much of a facilitator and a, an outlet for Jason Tatum at this point. But uh, Peyton Pritchard played 42 and a half minutes, by the way. I well, thanks for listening to me when I was going through a stat line earlier. And said, I'm just saying that that's just a lot of minutes. <laughs> That's just a lot of minutes. I come back to my original point, J. King. Payne Pritchard played 42 and a half minutes. I don't think we can take a lot away from this basketball game. Uh, the, the one part that was disappointing, um, maybe it was a back-to-back type thing, although they've been, before tonight, they were undefeated on back-to-backs. This felt I don't I don't know the stats in front of me, but they have not been beaten on the glass much lately, and they have certainly not been beaten on the glass much when Robert Williams is in the game. They only had five offensive rebounds. The Heat had fourteen, even though the Heat like they they were really small. They played Caleb Martin at four. They were playing Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, Max Strus together, Gabe Vincent with those guys. Like they were small. And uh, they just still kind of own the glass. And obviously part of that is Ida Bio, who's a physical force inside. But but the Celtics have been really great at offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding with Robert Williams on the court. And they've been great defensive rebounding anyway, even when he's not on the court. So that was kind of a disappointing thing for them today. And one of the reasons that they weren't able to to win this game, even while holding the Heat to 36.2% shooting. That's crazy. How do you lose a game when you hold the other team to 36.2% shooting? You only shoot 43% and turn the ball over 17 times. Yeah, I guess that'll hurt you. <laughs> that'll hurt you. And you don't score in the final six minutes. Because up until that six-minute mark, they were doing pretty good. They were uh, rolling, especially there in the second half. Um, they did let the Heat come kind of crawl their way back into the game. Um, but I don't know. Is, is rebounding like something that's, again, sorry to belabor the point, Jay, a long-term concern for the uh, like the team? Or is this just like... No, but it was something they did very poorly tonight that they should be good at, even with the guys that were out there. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. They were worse than the Heat tonight, and they lost. And they uh, uh, are worse than the Orlando Magic. <laughs> Justin Jackson, by the way, what does he do? Proof. He is proof of just how hard it is to be a good NBA basketball player. Because that dude is six seven with a six eleven wingspan, and he can shoot the crap out of it. Like if you watch him stand still shooting, he never ever misses. Like just swap, 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 swap. He has a very good feel, high IQ. And he did nothing. And he has done nothing for much of his career. Like, it is so hard to be a good NBA basketball player. And I feel, I feel like, for whatever reason, he is the one I come back to as I think <laughs> about that. Because I think how preposterous it is to be six seven with a six eleven wingspan with high IQ and you can shoot the crap out of it and you're just not a good NBA player. That's crazy. Like, it is so hard to be a good NBA player. You have to have so much. And and to reinforce Jay's point, Justin Jackson just doesn't have enough. He has a lot. Yes. He has a lot, but he doesn't have enough. What did you think of um, 
Cobb performance in Orlando. Speaking of a guy who he's six foot ten uh, and has all, all the athleticism in the world, but um, also is probably not a long term NBA player. We saw some Cabin in Orlando. I thought he was decent for his uh, like what four minutes game. He didn't do much of anything either way. Kind of looked a little lost on one of the plays. I forget even what happened, but I remember thinking, oh. Fee's a little lost out there. <laughs> and then uh, that was it. Then he was out, fouled a couple times. Yeah, I mean, it was not an exciting performance <laughs> from Kavangeli. I'm just trying to cover all, all our bases. I'm, I'm we... not trying to crap on the guy. He didn't do anything wrong. But <laughs> it it seems like like this is a great this is a great podcast talk. Hey, Jay, I'm just trying to focus in and lock in on what happened in both of the games, you know, do the podcast thing. A notable thing that happened was Kavangeli getting some fourth quarter minutes down in Orlando. Yeah, that that was uh, kind of random, but it happened. I mean, anything else you want to talk about? Jonathan Isaac's back. You excited about that? He looked really good. <laughs> like, I was shocked how good he looked considering he missed two and a half years and was limited to 10 minutes, which is like <laughs> as limited as you can get in a return. Uh, it's not, not usual you see a guy who can only play 10 minutes tops, but – he looked really good. And obviously, like, if he does get healthy again, and I have no idea whether he will, but if he does, that core is just freaky because Paolo and Franz Wagner are just, like, Wagner's 6'9", Paolo's 6'10", and they just have so much game for their size. They're just going to be so tough to guard. And if you add a seven-footer who can guard one through five credibly and racks up blocks and steals all the time, I looked at this up yesterday. The last eight games he played before getting hurt, and he was kind of like hurt-ish at the time. It wasn't like he was totally healthy. He had, I think it was 22 steals and 11 blocks combined. 23 steals and 11 blocks over the the last eight games he played before he got hurt, and uh, like that's just that's incredible stuff. The guy's just a steal and block machine. So if if he is healthy long term, um, then that is going to be just one heck of a core. And even if it's not, I think Paolo and Wagner are as good a duo, like a young duo, unproven young duo, because there are a lot of young duos I guess that are more proven, but. But those guys have a lot of talent, and they're they're dangerous. That is a that is a talented team, long, at least in the front court. Long term Celtics rival? Question mark. I saw I saw some people uh, talking about the possibilities of them seeing each other down the road, like not this year, but down the road, down the road. The twenty twenty five Eastern Conference semifinals is going to be crazy. Yeah, and I mean that could happen, but also there have been a lot of exciting young duos, young trios that just never. Like I remember when Zach Levine and Carl Towns, um, and Andrew Wiggins. When you looked at them, were like, "Wow, that's a super talented young trio." Like that that trio is going to do a lot of big things, and uh, they didn't do much big. <laughs> they did not. But but I do think Boncaro and Wagner will be very good, and that. Like, to have two guys that size, that skilled, is just crazy. It's crazy. And it's almost like like taking the formula the Celtics have, but, like, with even with, a little more size. With I'm bigger not, guys. Like I'm not saying it's like – Nope, like you heard it here Tatum first. Brown because, Paolo is because the next Jason not. Tatum and Franz is the next Jalen Brown. I'm not saying that, but it's just like – the. The Celtics formula is having two awesome do-it-all wings, and that's going to be the Magic's formula. And their guys are six nine, six ten. Like that's kind of crazy. It's it's not usual that you have guys with that size who can play like that. They're going to be hell. A- add Wem- Wembenyama to them, that's it. and get Jonathan Isaac healthy, and then just play like Franz at point guard. I don't know if that would work. We've seen the Toronto Raptors just try to play a bunch of six eight guys. Not against Peyton Pritchard, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, Peyton Pritchard owns the entire nation of Canada. Uh... <laughs>
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, uh, let's go to the phones right now. Joe S. has been waiting patiently. Joe, thanks for joining us here on Anything is Potable. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I just wanted to ask about Jason Tatum, and I think, you know, with tonight and and the end of game decision-making, I guess, specifically, and the turnover was ugly tonight, but maybe a little bit more understandable that Miami was able to pull the double team given – who was on the floor at the time. But even going back to the Warriors game last week and some of those fourth-quarter turnovers, just not pretty. And I wonder if you blame that, like where you split the blame pie between him and Missoula tonight having a timeout. I just feel like with the guys on the floor, you would want to be able to talk that over because I would imagine that's not a group that plays together a lot and try and figure – I know they're pros and everything, but – I don't know. Where, where do you stand on, on just some of the issues that Tatum's had in the fourth quarter in the last couple of games protecting the ball? Yeah, it, it it hasn't been a big issue this regular season. The Celtics have actually done a much better job taking care of the ball. I think this was just the fourth time all season they've lost when going into the fourth quarter with a lead. So it's not like they've collapsed all the time. It's not like he's allowing them to collapse. In the Warriors game, they actually came back in spite of some of those turnovers. But, with that being said, he's had some really bad said, turnovers in the fourth quarter in this game and the Warriors game. And and the turnovers in the playoffs for him were a huge deal. And when the Celtics weren't good in the playoffs, it was often because they were turning the ball over. And when that happened, it was often Tatum who was doing that. And I think they've gotten a lot better at reading the game. I think they've gotten – I think he has gotten a lot better at reading the game. I think even to tonight, uh, for most of the game, shows some of his improvements. Like the Heat were just too small. They they just they have tough guys. They have good defenders. They were just too small, and he was able to get to the line all the time. He was able to get where he wanted. He even like drove Bam and got him on his shoulder, finished an and one, but. But the turnovers, um, that's something that's that's got to be a constant, is reading the game at the highest level against the best defenses. And it didn't happen all the time during the playoffs. Um, and the Heat were one of the teams that gave him problems. And it's not always going to be as tough as it was tonight because tonight it looked like they were running a lot of stagnant offense. A lot more was running through Tatum. The Because of who else was on the court and who wasn't on the court, there's just a lot more attention on him. Than there all than there normally will be. There aren't the guys like Marcus Smart who make the game easier for him, and Jalen Brown, who can take away a lot of the attention from him. 
So it's probably an unfair evaluation tonight, uh, but that is an area that that will be huge for them when when games really matter because we saw what happened throughout the playoffs last year, and the Celtics believe they've learned from that. They've they've certainly looked better offensively this season, but but they need to continue to execute in the clutch. And look, they've been great in the clutch all season. Like this hasn't been a constant problem for them, but. The Warriors game, he definitely had some really bad moments, and especially the the last play against Miami. That was just a really bad pass in the worst moment. Yeah, it certainly wasn't good. Um, I have no no spin zone for this. Um, he made some bad decisions, uh, certainly in against the Heat, certainly against the Warriors. I think they're a little more amplified in the brains of Celtics fans because those are the last two playoff opponents and they kind of saw a similar thing to the playoffs last year. At the end of the day, I think Jason Tatum has gotten a lot better at decision-making. I think the Celtics have gotten a lot better at decision-making and reading the defense. And I'm not like here as a Celtics fan concerned with the idea of Jason Tatum having the ball in his hands with the, the game on the line or him trying to come up clutch. Like there's no other person on the Celtics who I'd rather have the uh, have had the ball in those situations. I just think he's happened to have some, some not so great moments recently. Um, and it, but I just do think it's something he's getting better at and something he'll need to continue to get better at, um, as the Celtics keep moving forward. I guess that's why they play the regular season. I guess that's why, you know, we have these podcasts to break it all down so we can track that progress, uh, as they march towards the playoffs. Yeah. And if, if you look at, his numbers like he's turning he's never been a high turnover guy with the exception really of last season's playoffs but he's turning it over less than ever this year actually 9.6 percent turnover rate which for a guy who has a ball in his hands as much as he does and is tasked with making difficult plays a lot like that's that's a really good turnover rate so hasn't always been an issue but the offensive execution when it matters like that's what's going to define this team honestly their defense is rounding into what we thought it would be now that Robert Williams is back. They, you know, I, I think they're they're an even better rebounding team than I thought, especially with Robert Williams on the court. Um, and what's really going to define them is can they execute when it matters against the best defenses? And that's it. Like, can you do it against Milwaukee? Can you do it against and can, Philadelphia? Can you do it, can you do it when it? your threes are not falling? When you're like, because I think we've seen with this team with like when they're shooting threes at a high volume and they're getting them to drop, like there's just not a team in the league that can compete with them. But when you struggled, as they kind of have recently in some games and are not shooting, you know, over 40% from three in a game, you're, they're 31% tonight. Can you find ways to generate offense efficiently? Uh, and score against the better teams, whether that's getting to the free throw line or just getting better uh, looks for your guys. I think that is like a, a huge issue for the Celtics. Or not, a, not an issue, but like the thing that will kind of define how far they go is like when that three point shot's not falling, can they figure out other ways to get efficient offense? And it has not, uh, it did not work for them tonight in the final six minutes uh, where they scored zero points except for that one Tatum bucket. Uh, but so far, still good. Still best record in the NBA. Uh, I have to remind people of that, or this next guy, he would he would punish me for not uh, reminding reminding everyone else out there that there's still reason to be optimistic. Joshua B., uh, let's set the record straight, folks, uh, and why we should not be concerned for these two losses. Josh, let's, let the folks have it. I, I am going to let the folks have it. I take umbrage with something you guys keep saying over and over and over again. You've said it the entire podcast. And it's time to set the record straight. This is not the team. How do I know it's not the team? You're missing three starters from what is supposed hold to on, be. Hold on, hold on, hold on. When did we say it was the team? No, you keep saying the word team, 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 team. This two-game road trip. Wait, wait, wait. How else do you want us to refer to the group? Uh, exactly uh, as the word just these, did. These strangers exactly as you just did, Jim. Exactly as you just did as a group, because that's all this really is right now is a group. 
right? When you have Jason Tatum missing a game in the first game, you have Jalen Brown who's scoring 27 points a game. Was I'm crying a three-point right difference? What do you think? You're no? human that we called them a team. Just don't call them a team. It's okay. They're a group <laughs> of people. And how do you know they're a group of people? Because Peyton Pritchard is playing 42 minutes. I love Peyton Pritchard. He's my man. 42 minutes is too much Peyton Pritchard under any circumstances. And it's because Joe Mazzulla, for whatever reason, hasn't been goofing around with his rotations. But we stumbled onto quite a few things tonight. I think today was a positive. That Derek, that Derek White, Rob Williams lob game, that two-man game, that's good and proper good stuff. That's the kind of stuff that will play in the playoffs. Derek White suddenly found his shot. Now, I get it that Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard haven't been fantastic lately, but we are missing the guy who leads the team in assists per game, and Marcus Smart. We're missing the second-leading scorer, um, Jalen Brown. We're missing Big Al because he doesn't play back-to-backs. We're constantly splitting up the Big Al-Rob Williams duo, you know, so that they're never playing together. And we just rattled off a nine-game win streak. I mean, what are we supposed to do short of making a trade that can really make any kind of difference other than fiddle with our rotations and learn to call timeouts properly? I don't think there is an answer to the question, to be entirely honest. I thought Joe Mazzulla did the best that he could. I mean, I know that he made a couple of mistakes, but you're playing an Eric Spolstrup team. That means that, like, you're going to have to learn something. I think he's actually been coaching pretty well lately. I agree with you, though. I agree with you about Orlando. I think they have our number. Like, I'm all the way with you. I think they're too long. I think they're too big. They're one and only team in the entire NBA that has swept us so far this season. And as far as the Miami Heat go... The like, Celtics did beat them once. They beat them once earlier in the season. So far, so far, is that true? Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Like for opening opening yeah. week, yeah. I thought we were 0-3 against, oh, great. Well, lovely. Then great. Then nobody has our number. We're still the first. Go ahead. Do the Magic Magic own the Boston Celtics as a team or the Boston Celtics as a group? Yeah, as a team, unfortunately for them, (laughs) um, because they're just too long. But everybody else, everybody else, especially Miami, we will, like, we will dominate Miami when we play as a team. But you you just, you can't deny, you can't deny that, like, missing Malcolm Brogdon, missing um, Jalen Brown, missing Al Horford, missing... um, God, uh, missing Marcus Smart, but like missing these four guys brought us back to the same thing we were complaining about all last year, which was the offense going six minutes at a shot without getting buckets. I mean, isn't isn't that the concern? And if that's the concern, then where do we go at the trade deadline? And I'm finishing off with our um, with the question: Where do we go for those extra those extra minutes? Who do we turn to? Can we get Damian Lee? Can we get, you know, Isaiah Joe? Who can we get that will keep the offense humming when we need to sit some guys? Thanks. I don't think they need to get out, go out and get somebody. I think they just need their guys. If if they're in a playoff series and their bench is Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Grant Williams, I don't think anybody would be upset with that. I don't think there's any weak link in that rotation. And that seems the most likely outcome to me. Um, It's hard to find an upgrade on that eight-man rotation. It really is going to be tough to find an upgrade on that. And you have to find the right guy if if it's anybody. And I, I do think, like, in all likelihood, it'll probably just be they get healthy and the bench they play will have nothing to do with the bench they played tonight, which was Blake Griffin, Sam Hauser, Justin Jackson, and Luke Cornett. Yeah. The group tonight um, could be upgraded, uh, but the team, <laughs> I think the team, it felt like the Romeo Langford days again. It felt like like Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith kind of moments. Um, and so, like I'm Josh O'B kind of threw me for a loop because didn't I spend the first 10 minutes of this podcast just being like, you can take nothing from this game because of the injuries. My, my guess, my guess is that he checked in late. Yeah. Like he basically just, I love Joshua B. I love what he brings to this show, but I feel like that was my exact point for 10 minutes. And then 
you got upset with me Either, for being too optimistic and uh, not breaking down what happened in this game. Not even for being too optimistic, just for <laughs> totally dismissing the subject matter that we are discussing. Yeah, that's. And I, that's I thought it was a, a fair critique. By. I think it was also a fair critique of by Joshua B to um have like we shouldn't have called it a team. It, it wasn't the Boston Celtics team. It was the assembled group uh, of Boston Celtics, but not the full squadron. It was definitely not the full squadron. Um, did you see this tweet from the Miami Heat? Yes, they're making fun of the Dallas Cowboys. Just yeah, just an epic tweet. So the Cowboys went out and kind of <laughs> shit it on their own quarterback. Well, it's like they're Prescott they're re- gave away the ball two times in the narrow loss to whoever they played the 49ers in a matchup the Cowboys had a chance to win if they didn't again generate self-inflicted wounds and so the the heat spun it around and did it to the other team that said the Celtics gave away the ball 17 times which was just that's just great tweeting that's elite social media work right there yeah and it's like a great um juxtaposition to the to the Cowboys social media team it's like they have their own reporter and their reporter wrote like an accurate article of what happened but you don't need to tweet it out from the tweet uh, the team account just like criticizing the quarterback. I just don't think it's it, still up there too. I, I think that came from the top. They wanted Jerry, to you know think Jerry that he Jones had given is the ball the, away two times. You think he's the editor of the of the Cowboys.com and also No, but I do think with like when you are crit as a team social media account, if you are criticizing the quarterback, then if it stays up there and is not deleted at any time <laughs> That goes to the top. Like, he heard about that, and he's cool with it staying up there. You can't delete it, though, because then you look weak. Then you look like a coward. Then people talk about it more. <laughs> but if if the social media person has just gone rogue. I don't then... think – I feel, really feel like a guy published an article, and then they had, like, an automatic tweet setting in there. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive here. Yeah, I, I don't know how uh... – the social media aspect of it worked, but either way, they put Dak Prescott on blast, and then the Miami Heat used it to put the Celtics on blast. So, salute to them. Salute to them. I got, I got um, nothing else to say, Jay. I've got no junk. You got no junk? No, I've been kind of busy. Been back at school. Haven't been taking notes. Um, How do you have no junk? You had twenty-five minutes of junk the other night. Yeah, you know, the night I was locked in. I was with my team. Here is more of a group setting. I mean, this this is unacceptable. You got? Do you have any junk? It's not like you're down there in Miami or in Orlando. This is utterly unacceptable. You say that, but I'm going to sub- subject you to an hour full of junk after the uh, Knicks game on Thursday night. I will not stand for it. But an hour is also unacceptable. You have to find the. The media, the middle ground. It's like, it's like Marcus Smart three pointers. Like you don't want him to shoot every single time, but sometimes you gotta shoot him. You gotta let him fly. I mean, my biggest moment of junk was talking about uh, the Joe Missoula somersault, but like that was just naturally that came up earlier. Um, I was planning to like that would be like a longer discussion, but you know, um, it was too important. It wasn't junk. It was breaking news. That was breaking news. <laughs> well, I just did, just did a somersault. I mean, we we I would love an oral history of the Missoula <laughs> somersault. We might have to force Adam Himmelsbach on the podcast just so we can tell the story, the firsthand account of of the somersault. Because imagine being there and just witnessing that. He did that in front of the media. It wasn't just something like. He he did that in public just so everyone could know. That's it's a wild move. Just I would have never thought in years you'd ever see Joe Mazzulla doing a somersault. What's next? A cartwheel? What's going on here? What is what's going on with Bazooka Joe? I also want to know in this scenario what constituted a somersault. Well, we're gonna have, like, we're gonna is have that to... just when you roll on your head, or is it when you like? Like do kind of a flip. Like what? What do you think constituted a somersault? I think like yeah. Did he get down on the ground and roll like on it like 
kind of do a headstand and roll that and then did he stand back up again <laughs> like was did he like then go ta-da and kind of like present himself so many questions not enough answers i think we're gonna have to ambush him with Buck and get uh get some answers on thursday i also enjoyed smart's quote we need to stop giving him sugar <laughs> <laughs> just an incredible quote Missoula just can't handle his sugar that's all apparently not um Jay, I, I oh, also also in junk. Do you think Jason Tatum took a poop against the Magic? Is that why he was reaching at his stomach? Like he just like I'm asking you. He made. I'm it. just asking you. No, I don't. I'm just just posing the question. Because he was reaching at his ribs uh, after making a three point shot. Do you think he like made a three point shot? Your hypothesis right now is that he made a three point shot and then immediately said, "Oh." I have to poop. Let me run out of this game right now. I'm I'm not saying that happened. I'm just oh, that's a asking hypothesis you if you is that, that it could happened. possibly I it had never crossed my mind uh until this moment. So no, do you think that, Jay King? I simply was asking you. And I am simply asking you. That was a weird moment because I thought he hurt his ribs and then he tried it off the court. Went straight to the locker room and then came back and said he was fine and didn't show any signs of anything afterward. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, we've, we, could, uh, I'm, we've all been there. We've all pooped. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm done. I'm, um, I'm done. <laughs> this podcast is over. We're talking about somersaults and possible defecation from the players. It's, Proof. I'm not saying it definitely happened. The proof happened. is in the I'm pudding. The proof is in the pudding, Jay. I'm just saying we've all been there. It's very clear from this conversation that we, anything we, is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. Anything is possible. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> that was pure joke. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.